You're increased with goods, and you have need of nothing. That's the way they felt about themselves. And in all of our affluence and all of the wonderful ways God has blessed us, I think all of us would be very well served to persuade ourselves that no matter what we have, we still need Jesus. We need him every minute of every hour of every day. We need the Lord. Everybody said amen. Well, is it too early to say Merry Christmas? Anybody in the spirit? Who's done with your Christmas shopping? That's what I thought. It's because you're not buying anything. That's why you're done. Uh, <laughs> if you are, Sherry, God bless you. You're amazing. You are a cut. You're in that top 1%. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I hope all of you have had a, had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, we didn't mention this Sunday, but I know the, the uh, Murphy family, my wife, kids, grandkids, just had an amazing Thanksgiving. And our general consensus, when it was time to come home, that nobody really wanted to. And uh, that's how good it was. And we're very thankful for that. And looking forward to a repeat of that throughout the Christmas holiday. And I hope all of you have a just a wonderful, wonderful holiday. That being said... <clears throat> And I can't teach very long tonight. I have like only 1% power left on my iPad, so I have about five minutes. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I have plenty. I was building you hopes up there for a minute. and uh, But uh, I want to embark on a subject tonight <clears throat> that is not only applicable throughout the year, it's certainly applicable through the Christmas holiday, but that's not really why I'm doing it either one of those reasons. The real reason I'm doing it is to start laying some groundwork for January and February of 2019. The Lord willing, it's right around the corner, and we want Grace Church to keep moving forward. Thank the Lord. I'm happy to see you folks. Good crowd here tonight. And uh, you may look around and see a lot of empty chairs, but you have to remember we have a lot of stuff going on on the campus. There's folks upstairs and uh, out in the A Center and what have you. So um, uh, we have a lot of stuff going on and very thankful uh, to see all of you here tonight. <clears throat> I want to talk to you for a little while tonight on how to build strong relationships. And uh, I have no intentions of trying to make this sound generic and easy. In our American culture, God only knows what goes on around the rest of the world. But in our American culture, um, relationships, strong relationships are seemingly are getting more and more difficult to build. Uh, marriages are strained like they've never been before. Families are under relationship strain like there's never, like we've never known before, at least in my lifetime. Um, I know we face things in the church. When people walk through the church door, they bring things with them. That has to do with with difficulties in family, difficulties in relationships with churches and ministry, difficulties in uh, their jobs, just anything that's relationship based. We struggle, and I, it seemed like I remember a time when I was a child that it was it seemed more common just to have a lot of friends adult friends when you were an adult not not as a child but as an adult but now i think if people have two or three really close friends in their lifetime they're doing really good 
And I believe the reason for that is because relationships are very hard to build. Strong relationships are very hard to build. There's a lack of trust. Uh, People are standoffish. They don't let you in easy. Uh, They certainly don't want you on the inside of them knowing their secrets and that kind of thing. So I want to talk to you for a little while tonight. This will be kind of a a little foundation for uh, what I'd like to talk to you about next Wednesday night, which we'll get into a little more meat of it next Wednesday night. I just want to lay a foundation here tonight and, some, and, and build some framework. I heard a preacher say one time that a very prominent married couple was asked, how do you explain your marriage? This is not about marriage. I'm just using this as an illustration. In spite of their active and pressured life as a professor, conference speakers, church leaders, authors, parents of four, mentors to scores of people. They had one of the neatest relationships, the preacher said, of anybody I'd ever seen. So slowly but very deliberately, in answer to this question, how do you explain your marriage? The man leaned into the microphone and said, my wife and I have two unconditional commitments. We are unconditionally committed to Christ, and we are unconditionally committed to one another. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? I'm sorry, did sound system on or something? I thought that was a pretty easy question. Uh, It sounds really nice to say we're committed to Jesus and we're committed to one another. I've I've heard people say that. That um, that didn't work out like that. It didn't. It wasn't quite that simple. But to this couple, that was it. To this couple, it was that simple. It was that profound. So while an unconditional commitment to a spouse may include several components, very close to the top of the list is the commitment to manage each other's expectations there has to be a commitment to manage each other's expectations and you do that in a biblical and constructive manner I hope none of you check out on me tonight mentally and start thinking about uh, college football and laundry that needs to be done and because I'm going to give you some information here tonight that'll help you'll help everybody here it'll help every one of us uh, I try my best to incorporate this into my life every single day. So while an unconditional commitment to a spouse may include several components, very close to the top of the list is a commitment to manage each other's expectations in a biblical and constructive manner. And it's critical to constructing any strong and stable relationship. Every relationship involves expectations. Every relationship involves expectations. Whether it's at home or at church, at work, it could be with your next door neighbor. But with every relationship we have, there is expectations. When you enter marriage, you have expectations of your spouse, and your spouse has expectations of you. In parenting, you have expectations of your children, and your children have expectations of you. 
It's true on your job. It's true at your bank. It's true in your neighborhood. It's true on the highway driving. In the classroom at school and even at church. If you engage people, if there's a relationship you have with anybody on any level, mixed in with that relationship are certain expectations. When you become a part of a church, if you sit on the church board, if you accept a leadership role in, the, in, the, in youth ministry, if you become a Sunday school teacher or an usher, or you share on the worship team or serve in the nursery, expectations are always involved in that. There's always expectations. And it works both ways. You have your expectations of others, and they have their expectations of you. Are you all on board? How we manage those expectations will largely determine the character and quality of those relationships. This, in turn, dictates the direction and quality of our lives. And the reason there's a lot of hurt, disappointment, there's four categories I'm going to talk to you briefly about tonight, but I'm just going to leave it right now with hurt and disappointment. What I have you across the board. It's been a failure in expectation. Somebody expected something of somebody, and that other person failed in that area of expectation. In his book, The Little House on the Freeway, Tim Kimmel identified characteristics of a home with peace, one of which is they discipline their expectations. Bob Bell, author and speaker on Christian management rights concerning expectations, all miscommunications are the result of differing assumptions. All miscommunications are the result of differing assumptions. Assumptions. So the evidence is overwhelming. We are not doing well in America, in our family, in our church, what have you. We're not doing well when it comes to managing expectations. So let me talk to you for a few minutes tonight about the mismanagement of expectations. When expectations are poorly managed, negative emotions emerge any one of which can be destructive in any relationship. I want to just stop here for a moment and just say in passing that as, as pastor, just so you'll understand uh, where I may be coming from and some of the things I may say. But as pastor, I, I have huge high expectations of people but not in a demanding way. I do in a hopeful way. I hope people are willing to live up to their potential, to their gifting. I hope they can live up to their Christian testimony and their profession of faith. I hope they can live up to that. Nobody understands the the disappointment, and I'm, I'm not making this about me, but so you'll understand. But when you have this amazing family in your church and you find out one of the spouse cheats, 
on their other spouse. Or you have amazing family and kids and you find out one of the kids just did something really, really disappointing. It, it, it does something to my heart. I don't know about other pastors and how they feel about things. I hope they feel the same way I do, but it just does something to you. It, it makes your heart hurt. Um, when you have friends in ministry that fail, my expectations are, are just shot down, and uh, it's hurtful. Uh, I grieve over these things. I, I worry over these things. But I want everybody to understand, especially our leadership team, I never want to be uh, assumed by anybody. I don't want you to ever assume that I expect things of you in a demanding way. Everybody here, everything that you do, from our production booth to ministry to platform to Sunday school, ushering staff, everything you do is volunteer. And I, I don't feel like it's appropriate for me to, to feel like I have any right to be demanding with anything along this line. But I'm hopeful. I hope you do it. And when you don't do it, it's disappointing. My expectations are shattered. You feel would feel the same way, and, and, and some of you have, when I didn't live up as pastor to your expectations. I've had people tell me that I expected something different. I expected a different response or a different decision. Uh, I know people want me to go along with their ideas and, and, and what have you, and sometimes I can and sometimes I can't, and I have to live by my convictions and, and my own conscience. But I, I want everybody to understand here tonight, and, and what I want to present to you tonight and over the next couple of Wednesday nights when it comes to strong relationships with people, I think there's a huge mark of character that we can manifest as Christian people. And I've seen you do it. I've seen people in this room do it. I think you've, you've done it better than, than I could do it if I were in your shoes. But I think one of the greatest marks of strong people and strong relationships is when you are disappointed by people. When people don't live up to their to the expectations that you had of them. You can sit down and have a conversation and work those things out and then keep moving forward and keep rebuilding and building that relationship in the future. I see a pattern in our society, and it bothers me, that when expectations are poorly managed, when expectations are not met, and how we can summarily cut people off and Say, just forget about you. I don't want you in my life anymore. Um, I, I'm dealing in, in, in my own personal life, in my own personal ministry, with some huge disappointments in, in ministry, on ministry levels, with, with minister friends and what have you. But I refuse to cut them off. I, I refuse to just let it go and say, I don't want to, I'm done with you. I don't want to ever see you again. I, I know the... United Pentecostal Church has had a somewhat of a reputation, not always, but of some, of somewhat of a reputation of when ministers fail, they're they're cut off, and you know you're you're gone, you're out of here. Um, it's funny how we teach and preach forgiveness and healing and restoration and reconciliation, and all that, but it doesn't apply to our preachers, and that bothers me. I, I think we need to be forgiving. I think we need to give people latitude. 
and understand that as much as people fail at our expectations, we fail at theirs. Everybody said amen. So when extra expectations are poorly managed, negative emotions emerge, and any one of which can be destructive in a relationship. I want you to understand that. When expectations are poorly managed, they're not communicated, they're not managed, they're not reasonable, etc. The people you're in relationship with, they will give to you a negative emotion or you will have a negative emotion toward them. And any one of these negative emotions can be destructive in your relationship with people. And that's what I want to help with uh, tonight and over the next few Wednesday nights. Two of these emotions that emerge, uh, I have a little table, if y'all can go ahead and throw, throw that on the screen, if it, if it will, thank you. Two of these emotions are anger and sadness. Anger and sadness may be the feeling of the person whose expectations are not being fulfilled. You or your spouse, your pastor, your colleague, or any person with whom you have a relationship where their expectations are poorly managed. When that happens, then the, the feeling of the person you're in relationship with can have feelings of anger and sadness. The other two emotions are anxiety and shame. And this may be the feelings of the person who is trying to meet your expectations. And they can't. And so they feel anxiety and shame. I want us to understand tonight how sober we should be in, in realizing this and hearing that. So let me say it this way so you'll understand. I have expectations, for example, of uh, my family, of Sister Murphy, of my kids and uh, what have you, I have expectations of church people. When my expectations are not met, I may have a propensity to feel angry and sadness, saddened by it. I can be angry over it. You would feel the same way. If, you're, if your spouse disappoints you, and your expectations of your spouse, then you will generally feel anger and sadness. But when you flip that around, and I put expectations on people, and they know they can't meet my expectations, they have a propensity to feel anxiety and shame. And I want to tell you, in our society today, anxiety is running rampant. And if you look at people who suffer with anxiety, it's amazing that the people who suffer with anxiety, uh, oftentimes they're, they're on some kind of a medication, what have you. But if you looked at their life, if you could know them well enough to know their life, it's because somebody put a level of expectation on them that they could not meet. I want to have you understand, when, when, when you have family issues, need to consider this Bible study tonight. That's why I'm asking you not to check out on me. 
When you have family issues, consider what I'm teaching. Is your expectations unrealistic? Or are the expectations you're trying to meet in a relationship with someone else, are their expectations of you unrealistic? So if you look carefully at the the table on the screen, it's it's a feelings chart, and you can see how these things can revolve around expectations. So let's talk about the first one uh, would be in the top right. Let's talk about anger. And I'm not going to spend a long time here tonight, but you'll, you'll get the point. When people are prevented from seeing their expectations realized, they often respond with anger. Uh, when you walk in and ask your boss if you can have the, the day after Christmas off and he or she says no. You generally don't look at that person and smile and say, well, thank you and I appreciate the consideration, and I think you're wonderful. You may say that, but when you walk out the door, you're going to be muttering some other stuff on, under your breath. It's not going to be the same thing, big idiot. He just don't understand. He's inconsiderate. He's selfish. He's selfish. And I guarantee you, if he wanted the day off, he'd take it. Anybody feel me? So when people are prevented from seeing their expectations realized, they often respond with anger. This is oftentimes why, and anger to me is a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, sometimes it's justified. The Bible even teaches to be angry, but sin not. Uh, it's not a sin to be angry, but you can take it too far, and then it becomes a sin. But, but oftentimes people will drop out of a, a church leadership role, or sometimes they'll even leave the church because they got mad. And when the emotion of anger has passed, they regret what they did, and it's hard to come back, so they don't. There's a little pride element that kicks in and says, you know what, I don't feel like eating humble pie today. I'm just not going back. I'm not going to make that right. And so it becomes something on the inside that builds and builds. Again, the truth to this is amazing if we can hear it. A Christian leader may be angry with you because you or they are perceived as the obstacle from pre- pre- preventing that person from seeing a goal fulfilled. I've experienced this with people at Grace Church. They have oftentimes looked at me, and you'll see right under the word anger on the screen, the word blocked, is that people get mad when you say, well, I can do that, and the pastor won't let me do it. Or I can do that on my job, but my, my superior won't let me do it, and you get angry over it. And I want you to understand that people respond with anger because they see a person blocking them from success and from being better. A teenager, this runs rampant in parenting. Teenagers get angry with their parents who blocks the way to seeing an expectation realized. I mean, those of you that's, that has teenagers or have had them, God bless you if yours hadn't reached teenage years yet. The party in your life hasn't quite begun. But when they walk in all courageous and bold and say, Dad, I'm going to so-and-so's house tonight. Dad says, No, you're not. And they say, Thank you, Daddy, for telling me, No, you're the sweetest dad. They don't throw nothing. They don't kick nothing. They don't scream. They don't run to their mother and say, Would you go talk to Dad? 
But people get angry because in a relationship, there's oftentimes two different levels or parameters of expectations. And when they're not discussed and agreed on, uh, it can cause a lot of conflict and anger in your home, in your life, etc. A spouse can become resentful and angry with his or her partner who stands in the way of a dream coming true. You know, the, a spouse wants that particular house or that spouse wants that particular car, and the other one says, no, we don't need that. And it causes World War III. Uh, it's because there's expectations that I expected when I came in and said, I want to do a, a XYZ, I want to buy XYZ, I want to go to wherever you expected your spouse to say, okay, that's a great idea. And when they don't, it gets you a little upset. The second emotion that I want to talk about is sadness. And while it is much less intense as far as drama, it is no less hurtful. When people are saddened over assumed expectations or not communicated well expectations, it's hurtful. When the expectations of your partner, your friend, your colleague, your child are simply lost, ignored, or forgotten in the busyness and frenzy of your life, there is sadness. There's, there's a feeling of being unappreciated, of unnoticed. There's a feeling of, I don't have much value. You're not listening to me. And it causes sadness. In either case, these feelings can erode and corrupt any relationship. They are the soil that produces a harvest of hurt. It's when expectations are not met, are not understood and properly managed, causes sadness. The third thing that I mentioned a few moments ago is anxiety. Anxiety can cause people to chew their fingernails. Anxiety can cause nervous twitches and patting your foot all the time or, or tapping an ink pen or you're just always fidgety, fidgety, fidgety. It's usually the result of something on the inside that's causing anxiety. I've approached this with people in the past and I've actually opened up huge cans of worms in doing so, but thankfully all of them, several of them have ended with a great story of success. But anxiety can become your emotional pitfall. You may feel this way when you are uncertain of exactly what someone's expectations of you are. It's when you're trying to please somebody. It's when you're trying to help somebody. It's when you work for somebody and they never say good job. They never say bad job. You never know where you stand. You know what I'm talking about? Am I making sense to anybody here tonight? And you get frustrated. I've heard people say it for years. That if, if, if my spouse would just say, you did a good job tonight. Or you did a good job last week. If your boss would ever say that, if your colleague would ever, if somebody would just give you some affirmation. And usually anxiety is a byproduct of people who strive to please. It runs rampant with firstborns. They, they strive to please. They want to make everybody happy. When you don't give nothing back, then they, it can cause in them a lot of anxiety. So when you, it's when, anxiety is when you, you are uncertain of exactly someone else someone's expectations are it's when that the other person don't talk you know if they would just say if the person suffering anxiety would say 
You know, if you, if you really cared, you would say something to me about it. If you, if you really noticed what I was doing, you would say something about it. The other person says, well, if I don't have a problem with it, I'm not going to say anything. Runs rampant in marriages. Runs rampant in marriages. You leave, you find yourself riding down the road saying, what does my spouse really want out of me? What does, what does my church want out of me? What does God want out of me? What, what does my boss want out of me? These things run rampant in our minds and it it's, it's, can become an emotional pitfall if, uh, if they're not dealt with, if it's not given its proper uh, attention and remedy. It's been frustrating to me through the years when I worked a secular job that I've worked for employers They'd give me a job to do, but never told me what they expected out of it. Never got a deadline. You never got any kind of a standard. Does it have to be really good? Does it matter? Can I get sloppy? Uh, Coming from an engineering background, um, sometimes you can do things that just requires a sketch, which is just a pencil and paper and don't have to really be to scale, just a sketch. But then there's other jobs I gave you to do that has to be perfect. And when they don't tell you, then you sit there for hours and pondering, what do I do? And I'm afraid if I go back and ask, I'm going to get chewed out and that I should know. And maybe they said and I didn't hear it. Maybe they said and I didn't understand it. These things are real. They're real. And there are ways to work through them. And we'll be spending the next couple of Wednesday nights with you about that. I do find it very frustrating when somebody gives me a job to do and they don't tell me what they expect, but then they complain about the way I did it. Well, if you would have been more clear in your instructions, uh, we try really hard here at Grace Church to communicate what expectations are. And again, we're not demanding, but we're hopeful. The fourth emotion that comes out of this whole mix is shame. When it is clear you have failed to meet the expectations of the other person, you feel embarrassed. You feel ashamed and you feel unworthy. Children especially, children especially struggle with this emotion when they come to the conclusion that they can never please their parents. For these reasons alone, we must endeavor to cultivate some skills and strategies for becoming better managers of our expectations and the expectations of people who mean the most to us. There's a couple of lessons that we can learn from in the Bible. There's two biblical examples. In Genesis 24, Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. Remember that story? In commissioning his servant, several expectations were clearly expressed. That the wife must be from his own country, from among his relatives, which was the tradition back then. You had to offer her gifts of gold and fine clothing. She had to be willing to leave her home and travel to where Isaac lived. And the servant had to depend on the guidance of the Lord. The servant in an inferior position to Abraham, keep in mind he's the servant, he begins with some negotiating. He said, what if she won't leave home? What do I do if, this, if I can't meet all of your expectations. Abraham rejects the alternatives. 
and clarifies his expectations. It has to be this way or we're not interested. Don't bring a woman home with you to marry my son Isaac unless she fits all of these expectations. So the servant steps out confidently, conscious of his master's expectation, and in due process is able to fully meet Abraham's expectations of him. That's how relationships grow deep, and that's how they grow strong. It's when you can sit down and communicate expectations, and they're met both ways by both parties, then that relationship starts to trust, and that relationship starts to be confident and say, I have something I can work with here. And Acts 13 through 15 relates the unhappy account of Mark's defection from the mission of Paul and Barnabas. We're never told why Mark left. It's pure speculation, but I seriously wonder if it was a matter of expectations. Did Paul overspell out to Mark his expectations of him in various categories of duties and how long he would be with uh, Paul and Barnabas and so on? Was Mark given the opportunity to negotiate his responsibilities? We don't know what happened. And while I can't be sure of what happened with Mark, I know for sure it's been the primary reason why missionaries leave their first term on the mission field and never return. In recent years, organizational leadership has recognized this and has sought to address the problem by requiring an extensive preparation program before missionaries are even sent to a foreign country. They need to know what to expect. They need to know what expectations are. Will they be, what will be expected of them? What kind of co-workers to expect and so on. To bring this back down to where we are. I think it's important if you are thinking about getting married. That you sit down and have a conversation with your potential lifelong spouse. And say, what do you expect of me? And what do I expect? Here's what I expect out of you. I think it's fair. I think it's smart. I think it's considerate. I'll give you a couple of examples. When Sister Murphy and I, you know, looked like we were kind of getting chummy, and she begged me to marry her for months before I finally said yes. and Something like that. You be quiet back there. We got this up here. But when we finally realized that we wanted to spend our lives together, we had that conversation, and I told her straight up, I do not want you to work outside the home. And if you want to be a career lady, that's fine. But it's not going to work being married to me. And she agreed to that. She worked a full-time job until Marcus was born, and when he was born, she quit. She had intermittent part-time jobs here and there, but she never worked a full-time secular job again. I'll give you another example. Y'all remember Marilyn Christie Murphy? That was a pretty easy question. I mean, they were here a couple of weeks ago. Um, When they looked like they were wanting to spend life together, he he barked out some parameters. He gave her one. If you're going to marry me, I want you to know that going into this marriage, and I'm going to spend one week a year in the woods hunting. He did it. And she said, okay. And so for the first, I don't know how long it was, Wayne and Kathy, when they were married, but I know three or four years, every year, 
He had leave for one week. And as I remember, he didn't even bring his phone with him. He was in the woods completely out of touch. That's what he wanted to do for rest and relaxation and what have you. She agreed. And it was fine. She didn't jump up and down and pitch a fit the day before he left. And, well, if you really love me, she didn't do that. He had an expectation. She had an expectation. And it was met. I think it's smart to do that. We need to know what we expect out of people and what they expect out of us. It's not a one-way street. I heard a story just several days ago about a church that's just literally irate at their pastor for missing three Sundays in a row. Never done that here. Don't know that ever will unless it's just crazy circumstances. But I know of pastors that they're gone for two or three months at a time. I don't want to be gone that long because y'all realize y'all could operate without me and I'd be out of a job So, with our ministry team and all that. So I, I'm, I'm not, my mama didn't raise no fool. And, um, but, so there, there, there needs to be some conversation. Okay, if the pastor's going to do that once a year, then he needs to have a conversation with his church. And if that's not going to work out, then, then you come up with a compromise. You negotiate that. In every relationship, it's my point, there has, there's expectations. I don't care who you are. When you work for your employer for a week or two weeks, whatever it is, you expect a payday. And if you don't get one, you see what I mean? Well, that, uh, that analogy applies to marriage, to parenting, to siblings, family. We're coming up on Christmas. I hear it every year at the end of Christmas. I know someone, don't attend Grace Church, and, and every time I see them a week or two after Christmas, it's the same story. It's been this way for almost 20 years. I have all of my family over at my, church, my house for Christmas. It's 30 or 40 people, and I have to do all the cooking. I have to set everything up. I have to do all the cleaning and all that, and I ask her every year. Well, do you ask them to bring anything? No, I just feel really bad about asking people to bring. Well, quit complaining about it then. I mean, you've set a precedent here that you're going to feed them for free at your house every year around Christmas time, and you're going to do everything. That's what you've told them. So you have to set expectations. So people need to know what to expect out of you, and they need to know what to expect out of me. What do you expect out of co-workers? And so on. Why do pastors leave churches prematurely and they leave disillusion? Why do marriages struggle and oftentimes fail? Why do families struggle? Notice the screen and I'm, I'm done. When expectations are assumed and never expressed. That's why pastors leave churches prematurely and disillusion. This is why marriages struggle. This is why families struggle. It's because expectations are assumed and never expressed. Or when they are imposed, there's no room for negotiation. Or when they are ignored or unrealistic, they're suffering, trouble, and sometimes failure in one way or another. I think parents... If you have children at home, the minute they're born, you start putting into their head what you expect out of them and what they can expect out of you. 
Sister Murphy and I tried to do our best. And there are several things that we made very clear to our kids. If you're going to live in my house, you're going to church when we go to church. Number two, we don't miss church. So when it's time for you, when there's church time, don't even ask, can I stay home? No. We don't allow smoking and drinking and drugs in our house. You're not going to fornicate in our house. say, well, pastor, you're being hardcore. No, I'm not. I'm setting expectations. This is what I expect. And if you're going to live in this house, this is what you're going to do. Some of our parents here tonight need to bow up a little bit and quit letting your kids tell you what to do. You start telling them what to do. Here's expectation. I'll get them a little more of that next Wednesday night. So as a matter of fact, I'll suggest a model next Wednesday night that will help make a difference in any and every relationship. You'll be able to locate on it exactly where you are in any particular relationship. I'll give you a model, and you'll be able to see how you got to where you are in that relationship as well as to see how to change the dynamics of that relationship and even potentially bring stability to it. I don't suggest that in a relationship that you become a doormat for anybody. I don't suggest that. I do believe there can be some degree of negotiation. If my expectations are too high for Sister Murph and the kids, or if their expectations of me are too high, we need to sit down and have a conversation. I mean, we don't have to break our family apart because of it. Let's see if we can negotiate and come back to a a, a place where we can meet. Uh, I think that's reasonable. I think, again, it's smart uh, without compromising your convictions. So... Plan to be here next Wednesday night, if you would. Uh, not skipping this sun, coming Sunday, of course. But uh, we'll continue it next Wednesday night, Lord willing, on how to build strong relationships. And I, I, if you'll give this some consideration, if you didn't catch all of it, if you'll go back and listen to it again, and, and make it a part of your framework of how you think. Um, we try to do it here at Grace Church. I mean, we're very clear in what it takes to be a member. We're very clear in what it takes to be a leader. Uh, most of our church ministries, we have an infuse process to get you on the team. We're only we're communicating what expectations are. If you can't do that, fine, just say it. And I tell people often when they step into leadership here at Grace Church, if you can't do this, you don't have to leave the church. Let's have a conversation about it. If we can't work it out, then we'll move you to another area, or you can just come and You know, over the next two or three months, don't do anything. Just think it through, and maybe there's something else you'd like to do. We just want to communicate expectations uh, and and do the best we can to set people up to be a success in their relationship with God, family, and certainly their church. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. It's great to see you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your attention. I'm happy to point out um, it's 822 i got eight minutes, man. got eight minutes in the bank. I've used all my minutes up, but i got eight minutes tonight. So there you go. So God bless you. It's great to see all of you. You're dismissed, and we'll see you Sunday morning. <clears throat>